0: They wallow in corruption, crime, and gore. ding ling ling city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess, meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meets such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now.
1: The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis each week on what's going on in the media, we think, from our perspective anyway, sitting here in the studio. I'm Rex Smith of the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union, here with my colleagues. We have Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette, uh, now vice president of the New York Press Association. We have Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record in Troy, now teaching journalism at the University of Albany. And Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO and political commentator. And Grand Poobah of Northeast Public Radio, where this program originates. Dr. Shartak, thank you for inviting us into your home. I should mention that he invited us to come to the holiday party if we were willing to expose ourselves. Dr.
2: Shartok. And we are not. <laughs> I knew you weren't, and I didn't really mean it.
1: <laughs> anyway, we appreciate your, your hospitality. And we hope everyone is having a wonderful holiday season, because it is a good time for us to take a look back. You know, look back at the media in 2021, a year that was certainly seminal, a year that began with an assault on the Capitol in terms of great news coverage, a year that then continued with coverage of the coronavirus and with the investigation into that attack, with coverage of a new administration in Washington. 2021 has been a remarkable year for coverage. Dr. Shartok, from your perspective, as a real consumer, of the media and looking back what kind of year do you think it's been
2: well i think that the news media in general i think the top papers the washington post and the new york times have acquitted themselves quite well rex i'm impressed because it's not an easy thing to do and so i guess that's it take that okay uh barbara do you have any uh, thoughts on
1: this barbara lombardo
3: I think it's been a challenging year for the media, just as it has been for all of the world, really, because of the pandemic in particular, and now economic concerns. And January 6th, which, except for the fact that it's also my husband's birthday, uh, is the day that will live in infamy.
1: (laughs) The day that will live in infamy, aside from... And, you know, that's still hanging out there. Yeah, right.
3: Yeah, I think especially
4: the coverage of the January 6th insurrection was, as a breaking news story, very well covered. And in in the weeks that followed, we saw some tremendous reporting or analysis of what went down and how it went down that were incredibly illuminating. Every once in a while I like to go back to that coverage just to remind myself about how serious that was. I mean, what's happened in the aftermath, I've seen some of the congressional investigators simply follow what the reporters have already found out about what was going on and who was involved in the planning and the execution of this
2: Well, you know, your career has been remarkable, Judy. You started as a young reporter. I remember you very well in those days. You went on to a major editorial position. Now you're giving news advice to all of these papers in New York State. What the
4: heck is coming next?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm wondering whether you have a sense of what has happened to the news media since you've been in it. And look, you've been in it all of this time. You've watched it from several angles. So I'm wondering what your impression of the validity of the media is these days. If there was such a thing as a an index.
4: You know, as somebody who used to look at old papers, I've looked at papers from the 1920s, the 30s, yeah. 40s, 50s, and go, you know, you see the evolution of what has happened. And we and we in this room can remember, I think, what we didn't realize were glory days. But back in the, you know, the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. we are all very well staffed. And we were able to, especially from a local news perspective, cover a lot more territory than we're able to now just because we don't have as many reporters or journalists out in the field. But in terms of the tone and how we approach the news, I think our craft has really evolved. I think we have higher ethical standards. I think we try harder to engage our audience. I think we're working really hard to build trust. I think the stories that are produced are more objective and better at
3: providing context than we were even 10 years ago.
2: Barbara, do you agree with that?
3: I want whatever she's drinking. Uh. (laughs) So I would say that I actually agree with the conclusions that Judy is coming to. But on the flip side, we also have more opinionated coverage than ever before and less credibility with the public than ever before. And that's concerning.
1: You know, it's interesting. My first newsroom experience was in an internship after my freshman year in college at the Rapid City Journal in 1971. And one of the things that was true at that time, which is coming back to being true is that there were few reporters. uh, It was a newsroom of a dozen people uh, for a a paper of about a 30,000, 40,000 circulation. And all that they could do is really cover what was in front of them. You know, if there was a meeting, they covered a meeting. If there was a a drowning, they covered the drowning. Because of what Judy was referring to, those when there was a lot of revenue coming in, when the ambitions of newsrooms got larger post-Watergate, there was a great deal of opportunity for enterprise reporting for not just what one of my mentors called the basic hack minimum just covering whatever somebody puts in front of you but rather to find the stories that people need to know about and there is now unfortunately because of this downturn in revenue for the legacy media there isn't as much of an opportunity for enterprise reporting. It's still being done. Um, my alma mater, the Times Union, did this terrific report on dam safety in New York State, showing that there are thousands of dams that really have not been inspected in there. And now the state legislature is going to take up hearings on this issue. So that's enterprise reporting that's terrific. But the opportunity to set aside reporters' time to be able to do that is much harder these days than it used to be. The skill is there, and the other thing that, as you're pointing out, that's great about the current state of the media is, because of the digital revolution, you can actually do a lot better storytelling. Digital storytelling is usually a lot better in many ways than print. So, does that help answer your question? It you know, does. I, I and think I'm we so put so him to sleep. All of you. But... <laughs>
2: I think we put you to sleep. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we lost him.
2: <laughs> well, well, what are you saying? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all right. It's really good to have you back. But, you know, it does mean that there are some things that are really difficult because take climate news, for example. This is the existential issue of our time. We are really imperiled by the climate change, but especially on on a local level, it's really hard for... Uh, the uh, thousands of local newsrooms around the country, not-for-profit and for-profit, print, digital, radio. It's really hard to cover that issue and make a
2: difference about it. I think people are demanding it. The problem is, Rex, I mean, I noticed that on our producer Speedy Gastina's morning show, the weatherman quite often now gives, I think every day, a climate report. In other words, talks about the climate. Now, that's Good. a demand, you know, from people who say, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. But there's more to it than that. We have to do a better job as journalists to say, you know, what's being in peril and how and why. And a year
4: like this past year has been, people have been so focused on the COVID virus, it's hard to get their attention. Also, they've been so focused on national politics that sometimes it's hard to get people to shake them and get them to pay attention to climate. Which the average American tends to think is a problem that's far off in the distance. It's it's always
2: exactly. It's always been a big problem in this country. It's probably our most serious problem given the long range aspects of it. And yet people say we'll handle that some other time.
3: Although the more effective the local media can be at coming up with specific examples of climate change, acid rain came to mind, of things that for years we could point to that was really a local impact for things. The more we can do that, the more it reaches people and they understand why this is important. And maybe we'll be empowered to take some action.
1: That's a great example because the concern about acid rain, the reporting on that from the 80s, even the 70s and so on, led to policy changes. It really was a media focus it was a scientific focus that the media picked up on and it was that that really led to the interstate compacts that ended up reducing the acid rain that drifted from the Ohio Valley over into the Adirondacks and killed the fish in Adirondack lakes. so that is now coming back you know those lakes are healthier
2: than they used to be Rex don't you think that's always been the case that the media sets the agenda for the politicians Hmm. I mean, I've seen it personally when I were, used to work in and around the state legislature. I was on a train. I've often talked about this, about a guy ripping out an article from probably the Times or maybe the Times Union and handing it to his assistant and said, give me something on this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> give Do me something. something on, give, <laughs> give me a law. Give me a, give me a bill that I can use on this. I think it happens. It
1: does. And it is all part of an ecosystem, an information ecosystem that's kind of hard. One of the things that's difficult about coronavirus is that it is such a constant drumbeat and it's constantly changing. Our scientific understanding is, and that's hard to convey to people because most citizens don't really have an appreciation for the fact that science kind of lags. Things happen and scientists have to analyze it and figure it out. And only then can the media present it to people. And so you're uncertain. There was a great phrase that I read in one of the reporters covering uh, coronavirus said uh, there's got to be a middle ground between catastrophizing all post-vaccination infections you know that's a i don't know if that's a real word catastrophizing but it's it a is pretty, now it's a good one it is now yeah because it's hard for us to write about this stuff and not make it like a constant catastrophe that is going to just drive people away and yet give people the concern that they need to have to respond appropriately
4: you know, I found myself a couple of times this past week just turning off CNN or MSNBC or Fox News because I just can't. It makes me too nervous. Well, I switch. I I have to go to Gunsmoke and get calmed down. Well, because the welcome to the club. Uh, the heightened tension in the reporting. You know, when Wolf Blitzer starts to say, "You know, we have breaking news." It's scary, and yes. I think a lot of people. You believe him when he says that? Yeah, I still
1: do. <laughs>
2: He's a very authoritative voice. And they told him to say that everything is breaking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we have breaking news at this hour. He does. He says that. He's got and it all the time. it's
4: scary. And so I think a lot of people are on heightened alert, and the media could do a better job of explaining more what's happening
2: so we're not in a constant state of anxiety because that's bad for our health as well. I don't know, Judy, when 800,000 people are dead. That's pretty scary. And every day, CNN puts up that little map on their screen, which shows you how many people died today and how it's happened. Think about it. You know, 12 people get killed in an automobile accident and the papers run with it. And yet 800,000 people are dead from this COVID. It's extraordinary. I think we tend to play it down. So you're the Wolf Blitzer of public radio. In this well, I like them <laughs> for 40s. a lot of reasons, some of which I can say, some of which I don't. Well,
1: You know, there's actually, I think you're onto something here, and there's a term that we ought to talk about that I'm sure our listeners probably aren't familiar with, and that is programmatic advertising, uh-huh. is that stuff that looks kind of like editorial content on a website that is actually instantaneously bid by advertisers. Electronic bidding puts this stuff onto your website, If you're a newspaper, you're always trying to resist programmatic advertising because it mimics real news coverage. And that's why you get all that uh, soupy stuff like celebrity news and you won't believe the 13th reason. You know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? The stuff that says, here are the top 15 things that are going on and you won't believe number 13. So that programmatic advertising is stuff that catches people's attention And programmatic advertisers don't want to be next to depressing, hard news. They don't want to have their ads next to coronavirus news, Mm -hmm. for example, or political news. And so there is a financial disincentive for advertising-supported websites to cover this kind of serious news, because programmatic advertising for some entities makes a huge difference. Even for really respectable news organizations like we've worked for, it makes up for what you've lost in terms of the old want ads that used to return an awful lot of revenue, for example, or national advertising that used to be there. So, it is hard for news organizations that depend upon advertising dollars to resist the temptation to let that programmatic advertising have its way on the website and kind of overwhelm the actual news presentation.
3: I've heard that discussion, but what I haven't seen, and maybe you can school me on this, is is there actually evidence that this is happening? Hmm.
1: Yeah, well, think about how many times when you were an editor, you were frustrated that your good news that your staff had produced didn't get to the top of your website, that people had to wade through these ads that popped up on their screen. People don't like that, right? Right,
3: but it wasn't a disincentive to do the right thing or that news organizations are not covering COVID or the economy or government things that need to be covered because it's not going to get the advertising support. But is it, it really happening?
1: It doesn't get as much attention from people because the, the incentive is to let that stuff run to let it have its place at the top of the screen instead of way down at the bottom oh, so
3: it's harder to find it's
1: harder to find the real news amid all the Ouch. programmatic
2: advertising so who actually is making those decisions i don't know uh <laughs> yeah. i mean i should say you think it's, there's some businessman up there saying hey wait a second now you know this is going to cost us our four ad." no it's not done by worrying about
1: what's going to cost them because this bidding is digital. It happens instantaneously with the excess space that might be available on a website. So it's actually just a business leader saying, you know, we need to have X percent growth in ad dollars, so let's open up a little bit more programmatic space. Open I remember space in the beginning
3: when things were first starting with advertising and websites, and there would be programs to put an ad. If a story had keywords in it, yes. like, Best Buy or travel. Let's or say it has travel, or travel yeah. Right. That there would be advertisers that wanted to be tucked into that story until it turned out that the travel was like an Amtrak crash. <laughs> and then I remember all heck right. broke loose because the <laughs> advertiser one time I think was actually Amtrak. The advertisers are not happy to be next to terrible news or Best Buy had an ad, you know, with a child's Terrible, tragic death because of keywords that were in that yes. story. So trying to and find there was the a right great, algorithms. There was
1: a great tradition of that in print when airlines had crashes more regularly 20 and 30 years ago. Every advertising department knew that if there was an airline crash, you immediately pulled the airline ads out of the paper. And suddenly you would either be reconfiguring the paper on the press, having a smaller paper, or you'd suddenly the newsroom would have two more pages <laughs> to fill to make up for the loss of that Eastern Airlines ad. So there's kind of a tradition of that.
2: I've often wondered about that. And you experts, you know, and what we used to call the newspaper industry. We don't call it that anymore, you know, news industry. Mm-hmm. You folks were always competing on a space basis with the advertising department. In other words, you had a certain amount of space to fill. Rex just gave us a very, pretty good example of every once in a while things go wrong and you get a little bit more fill My problem as the publisher of the Fire Island Sun was very different, which was the editor was furious because he didn't have enough stuff to put in. Uh, <laughs> and he would say, you got to put more ads in. So can you editors in some way give us an idea about what the relationship between yourselves and your ad people's demands were?
4: So at the paper I worked for, if there were a long established like a percentage agreement about we would do a certain percentage right. of, of the paper would do sure. a certain percentage of what advertising. What was that percentage? Oh, it changed over time. And at, from day to day. And from day to day, mm-hmm. yeah. Sunday was entirely different. And then you have to figure out whether you count the inserts. Then you have the discussion about where to place ads, whether you put them on the front page. And then came the discussion about where to put them on the website. In the last five years, I think it became a far more active discussion about where the ads will go, whether they get inserted into an online story, whether they get an inserted into a print story. But
2: you avoided my question. What was the question is, again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Percentage-wise.
4: Like it varied. Well, in give us
1: an
2: example. 50% would be. Is that right?
1: 50-50 would be great, right? But in most papers, I don't think, that is most days of the week, you wouldn't achieve 50% advertising. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a humongous paper. If you're the Chicago Tribune back when it was fat and happy, or the Star-Ledger in Newark, New Jersey, there was so much advertising that if you had 70% advertising, it was okay because that 30% was a huge news hole. Sure, That's the term, news hole. And you would fill what wasn't advertising. But if you're a small paper, when I was the editor of the record in Troy in the early 90s, we were squeezed terribly. It was really hard to find enough space for the stories Mm -hmm. that we had. Because uh, the company that owned that paper wanted to reduce costs, and newsprint was the second major cost after personnel. So we were constantly, desperately trying to find, where can I put this? What do I do? And you end up killing comic, literally unsubscribing to certain features that you wanted to have.
2: But never the bridge crown.
3: Oh, we made that mistake once at the Saratogian. <laughs> Me too. You know,
4: there, there used to be, there was a time when you get so many ads that you jump the paper. You would increase mm-hmm. the number of pages by a certain number. In recent years, there's greater reluctance to do that because of the cost. It's cost a lot more to print a 36 page paper rather than a 24. This is before my time, but I heard stories back in the day at the Gazette in Schenectady where there was a cutoff. If you were an advertiser and wanted to advertise, you didn't. And we were full. We were full, and they would decline the ad. So. That was before my time, but it used to be. In your
2: time, that became a firing offense. <laughs>
4: not, not from Come my. On. But, you know, one of the things that we used to, you know, house ads are ads that the uh, newspaper doesn't get money for. It's to promote a good cause or to promote subscriptions. Or uh, fill space. Or fill space. In, uh, <laughs> towards the end. I mean, nowadays, you, you see very few house ads because space is at a premium.
1: One of my first jobs in newspapering when I was a young, actually when I was a high school student, I started working in the advertising department of uh, my local newspaper, and I was promoted to dummy, <laughs> promoted to the dummy man. And my job was to actually lay out where wow, the ads would go. No, that's changed then. Yeah.
4: <laughs> no, that's a very powerful position, yeah, the dummy guy.
1: Yeah, and um, all the ads uh, would require FFUR, a uh, far-forward upper right. They all, all the ads wanted to be far forward in the paper in the first few pages and in the upper right-hand corner as you would open, like on the odd-numbered pages on the right. And so I would have ad salesmen come to me and say, hey, uh, can you take care of uh, Baron's Funeral Home there and uh, make sure that they get uh, FF? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I can, I can do that for you. But then the choice ended up being in the hands of the managing editor where you would, every day, you would say, okay, here's the amount of advertising we have And it never quite balanced out perfectly and so you say okay do you want eight long or 16 short do you want to go eight columns more space than your budget calls for or do you want to have 16 columns less and he's like oh i can't do 16 less unless it's a very slow news day Mm, yeah okay i can do 16 less Anyway, those are the old days. Things are different now in electronic and digital media, and we and there's an unlimited amount of space available for digital ads. There just aren't as many people looking to your legacy media for that kind of uh, presentation.
3: And I'm also not clear now. I, I did the same thing as managing editor. I was dummying the paper. I had a general layout. We knew about how many pages we were going to be running every day of the week. And with the person in advertising who's actually still at the paper, we would have the paper designed so that ads would be where they're supposed to be, open pages are where they're supposed to be, there's an editorial page with no ads on, etc. Now I'm not sure how much input the editor has as to where online advertising is going oh, to appear. Oh yeah,
1: I
2: think probably very little in most places. And that's
3: what's really more important. No, you, know, right you
2: guys mentioned house ads just a moment ago. Can you explain to our listeners what the purpose of a house ad is?
1: Well, it could be to balance out, you know, a press is, because of its technology, it can only go up by a certain number of pages and have the sections hold together because, you know, you have to have an even number of pages and sometimes presses are configured. I see. So you so you, it you have to add a couple of extra pages to the paper and so it might be an ad that says, gosh, isn't the Gazette a great newspaper? Or it yeah. might be an ad that says, you know, we salute this charity and that is a way to balance it out or to fill the excess space that unexpectedly comes up. Or an ad advertiser suddenly uh, has problem and needs to pull their ad at the last minute after the press has already been configured, and so you have to plug something in there if there's an ad problem.
4: Sometimes there are public service ads that we have pledged to run, anti-smoking or Mm -hmm. some sort of public health Well, what about that?
2: When you say we've pledged to, who do you pledge to?
4: The advertising department does that. I think we do it for the community good, and sometimes we'll get house ads to promote speech or the First Amendment or
1: local uh, local not-for-profits uh, like you may have a, a deal if the Albany Symphony buys one ad it gets three ads or something oh, it's like giving them a discount so that they can reach their audience but you're getting a little bit of revenue
2: so do that. your salespeople I love this because <laughs> I think about what's going on here at WMC <laughs> uh-huh. so do you, how much latitude do the salespeople at newspapers have oh yeah okay you buy one I'll give you three well, you have Do we to be That, careful. that you-
3: depends on the publishing on the organization because there are going to be rules, and you have to be able to financially account for the space that is in the paper and whether it's paid for or not paid for. You, you end up with an average cost for
2: the advertising.
3: Yeah. So there's a lot of so financial has been, and the, uh, that has to be
2: considered. So has that, has that been your experience, yeah. the, Barbara, that um, the salespeople don't have... Ultimate latitude in bringing in some money.
1: Well, you can't yeah. go off the rate card very far because then everybody expects to be off the rate card. They how does everybody know?
2: A deal.
4: There is a rate card, there's a rate card. And, yeah, and, and there's an advertisement. Yeah, but how do you
2: know whether the salesperson lets somebody off and gave him a sweetheart deal? Because yeah. there's a manager. Yeah, manager.
3: They have a. Supervisor.
1: We know. And they're, they're going
2: to show.
3: So. They're going to show how much money did they bring in over the period of time, and how many column inches did they sell. But again, how that translates into the Digital, yeah, advertising is something that we'd have to have a different panel. Well, we would have wow. to have.
1: Here we yeah. are. Well,
3: maybe Ira when Ira comes back. Yeah, I know, I right. we'll have this. Ira the publisher.
1: So we're at the, actually at the end of our time. Oh my god, uh, I like to get the bottom today. Stuff,
2: you know, <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a
1: good thing. So we thank you folks for actually putting up with our little jaunt through the past. <laughs> largely, that is. Some of this, of course, still has effect these days in the new media world. We thank you for joining us this year on The Media Project as well. Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, Dr. Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. We thank our producer, David Gustina, and we thank you all for letting us be a part of your weeks this year on The Media Project.
0: She shipped, she shipped it all back yonder to her uncle in Kodonk. Now meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's on Ting a ling a ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding ling, ding a ling, ling a ling a ling. Now newspapermen are such interesting people.
1: The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Chartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith
3: is the former editor of the Albany Times Union.
1: Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, you can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.
0: It's wonderful to represent people Now publishers are such interesting people Their policy is an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go. To working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Tingling ling-ling, circulation, tingling ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press